This morning, I'm going to take a, sh- a sh- look at a short passage of Scripture. This is some undisciplined combination of a devotion, a Bible study, and exposition. So you can't evaluate whether it's true exposition or not because I'm not confessing that it is. So I want to read this passage first, and then we'll just break it down. So it's 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 18. For God, oh, I'm supposed to click. There we go. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. There we go. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I've been in conversations with Kathy and Linda and NCF mainly about what IT cannot do for them. And because of that, they have really cared for me and prayed for me. And, and whenever Kathy's in, um, she asks how I'm doing. And it's, it's just it's a wonderful body of Christ that basically I'm telling them no and they're caring back for me, right? And so they were praying for me one night here. Maybe they could just see I was tired. And, and they prayed this verse over me, and I've been chewing on it ever since. So that's why we're sharing it this morning. So treasures in jars of clay. What is this treasure? Verse 6 tells us, for God who said, think, can you just take this over? Thank you. <laughs> I knew I couldn't do it. Um, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, this is classic Paul. He just adds phrase over phrase over phrase. Um, it's complicated wording. But in the creation, God said, let there be light, right? And the light shined out of the darkness. And when we don't know God, when our friends and family don't know God, our hearts are in darkness, right? The world lives in darkness. But God makes his light shine in our hearts. So now we have the light of the knowledge of God, the light of knowing God, which is displayed in the face of Christ. We see it in the person of Christ. So this treasure, it's our knowledge of God, it's our relationship with God. It's, it's amazing, right? And I, don't, I have a hunch that we don't fully grasp, right, how amazing this treasure is. 
And I know I don't grasp it, but when I look at my life, it's, it's amazing how I know now, at this age, so much more than 30 years ago, what a treasure is. The treasure just continues to grow. And I think we don't understand the, what it's like to not live like that, especially if we've been lifelong Christians, to live without this light in our hearts. The God of the universe, our creator, our redeemer, the only one who can truly fulfill us, offers us forgiveness, purpose, healing, intimacy. He offers us a relationship, right? That is the treasure we have. So we have this awe-inspiring treasure, but God clearly didn't say, I'm going to put it in superhumans, super superheroes, right? He puts it in us. We are living proof that he didn't put it only in superheroes. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power from God is not from us. So the scripture sets up a wonderful contrast here. There's the treasure, and then there's us. Usually treasures are in a fancy box in some kind of vault or, you know, a box that is equal to the treasure, right? But we're just a common clay jar. So archaeologists are always finding shards of pottery, right? What do they find? They find shards of pottery. Because at this time, pottery, it was the Rubbermaid, the Tupperware, right? What are they going to find from us? They're going to find all those little Rubbermaid things, right? <laughs> that all of our lunch meat comes in and we use it. Pottery was everywhere. That's what they had. The rich people, they might have had ivory cups and gold cups. Everyone else used pottery. And these were not fancy, refined clay that were glazed and painted. These were more like mud pies. You know, this is someone getting unrefined clay, working it by hand, and sticking it in the sun to dry, right? Common, earthy clay pots. And that's what Paul says he is. That's what Paul says we are. And we have this treasure. We are God's image. We are beloved. But we're also just clay jars. Human, earthy, fragile, breakable. It's a big contrast. And there's a reason for the contrast. So last couple weeks ago, I got my wife saw on Facebook that our future son-in-law's birthday was, had happened and that he was coming with my daughter. And she's like, oh, we got to get a cake. So I got sent to the cupcake shop to get the fancy cup with $3 cupcakes, right? Um, and it came in a, in, a, in a pretty cool box. It was a cupcake. It's like a six-pack for cupcakes. I'd never seen that. I thought that was pretty cool. But no one had any confusion about what the treasure was, right? The cupcakes were the treasure. The cupcakes were the ooh and ah the box got put in recycling. That's what God is doing here. There's no doubt as to what the treasure is. His goal is for all to see his glory because that's what's good for everybody. That's what's just true and right. It's not for anyone to be impressed with you and me. God's goal is for his glory to shine, not for us to be impressive. Now, that might be disappointing, but if you think about it, it's also a great relief, right? It's not on us. We are not to show God's glory. We, I mean, it's not on us to convince people to be something we just can't be. Let's read it again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So this, 
that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now this sounds a little bit like Project Flourish to anybody who's been involved. Hard-pressed, perplexed, struck down. Right? I know that's how many of us feel. And the word flourish is kind of tainted for some of us. <laughs> People ask me, am I flourishing? And I joke, a seed must die before it produces fruit. And, you know, Jesus said that this passage is even more scriptural basis for my joke. So it's good to have a biblical joke. But even if you're not working on flourish or a shipwrecked, persecuted missionary like Paul, this is true for all of us. Many of us suffer or have a close loved one that suffers from depression, anxiety, chronic illness, crushing relationship failures. Most of the world suffers in poverty and injustice, right? This is the fate of us on this planet. And we have this, some of us have this belief in normal life where there's assumptions of no stress and no pain and a lot of agency in life and fun and good relationships, right? That's, that's what we long for. There's a lot of assumptions if we think that's normal. Now, reality has a way of breaking that down, right? And if, and if reality doesn't do it soon enough, age will break it down. You get older and our knees hurt, your youthful vigor reigns, you turn 50 and there isn't a bathroom you don't want to stop at. <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> I wondered whether it'd be a knowing laugh among the old guys or an awkward laugh among the young guys, I don't know. Our kids don't turn out the way we hoped, our parents decline, our career trajectory doesn't match the master plan. We're just clay jars, rough, fragile, vulnerable in great need of Photoshop, right? So life is hard, and then you die, and you pay taxes along the way, all right? And is this what I'm talking about? Let's look at this again. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Look at the cause and effect in this passage. So that the life of Jesus may be revealed. So that his life may also be revealed. So then, death is at work at us, but life is at work in you. The cause, our struggles in this broken, sin-filled world as a clay jar. That's the cause. The effect, the life of Jesus shown to others. We are clay jars dying and degrading in this life, but the result is the glory of God is revealed. So in contrast to how we think, our weakness reveals the glory of God better than our strength. Let me say it again. In contrast to how we think, our weakness reveals God's glory better than our strength. Now, I like Tim Tebow. I, I don't follow football that closely, but when he was playing, I followed kind of what he was doing. I like his heart. I like that he hosts proms for disabled kids all over the country, flies to a lot of them. I like that on game days, um, he would visit kids' hospitals, often without the press even watching. But has anyone ever said, read one of these stories like, hmm, I'm going to be a Christian because Tim Tebow is a Christian? I doubt it, right? Now, people who are truly in relationship with him, I bet were impacted. I know his coach went on a mission trip with him, Urban Meyer, I think it was his coach, went on a summer mission trip with him once. So I think the people who got up next to his clay jar were probably impacted. But we have this false narrative that the celebrity Christian is going to reveal God's glory. Part of what I like about Tim Tebow is that he's, he, he struggled to be a quarterback, right? And it didn't crush him. He didn't make it, and it didn't crush him. 
And I bring this up because I think we think we need to be our version of a celebrity Christian. Now, we all know, we, you know we're, I'm not going to play in the NFL or anything like that, right? I gave that up in seventh grade. <laughs> it was being a shortstop for the Cardinals. But, you know, we think we're not going to be famous, but we think we have to be perfect, put together, successful, our own version of rich, powerful, and beautiful. And we, think, we may think we need to do that to be a good witness or to please God or to reveal his glory. Or if you're honest like me, you just want it for yourself anyway. But Paul says death is at work in him so that the life of Jesus can be revealed. Not success, power, and wealth. Now, that's not very attractive. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to put that on a proxy station. <laughs> you know? Die. Die. Who wants to die today? That won't be a proxy station, but it might be a discipleship cycle, right? It needs to be in our discipleship curriculum. But this is good news. This is good news. Again, in contrast to how we think, our weakness reveals God's glory better than our strength. This is good news for us, and it's darn good news for the world. If God's glory was reliant on our strength, the world would not see much of it. So the next section, if you will click, is an aside, but it's a nice one. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you with himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So this is another kind of complicated section here with Paul. I'm not going to dive in too deep. The three things I see is that Paul is not going to just suffer. He's going to speak of Jesus with faith. And he sounds joyful in the midst of this. And I think he's joyful because Paul knows he's going to be raised up with Jesus with these people. And because God's grace is reaching more and more people. And that's what Paul wanted. So the final section is similar to the first. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, you all have hopefully heard this, but whenever you see therefore, you ask, what is the therefore therefore, right? The therefore is for what's above. Why, is, why does Paul not lose heart? He knows he'll be raised from the dead with Jesus, and God's grace is reaching more and more people. So in the midst of all of these trials, Paul isn't losing heart because God's glory is being revealed. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Wasting away, yes, we are hard-pressed, we are perplexed, we are struck down, we are so mortal. But it's not the whole story. God can and will renew us now and in the life to come. Now, I don't really like this light and momentary trouble line. It's like, come on, Paul. I mean, Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was persecuted. Paul was falsely accused all the time. Paul wasn't a great speaker, and when he left, people talk about what a bad speaker he was. That's what it seems like. Um, but he's calling them light and momentary. They weren't light and momentary, but it's the contrast to the glory of God. 
Paul understood the treasure more than I understand the treasure, and it made it truly look light and momentary to him. So I'm usually trying to lighten my and shorten my struggles, right? That's my goal, and that's a fine goal. But what about expanding the treasure? What about expanding my understanding of the treasure? Now, theologically, we have all the treasure right now, but we don't experience it all, right? The treasure was all given to us in Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, but how do we experience more of that knowledge and relationship with God so that our light, our struggles become less heavy and long in comparison? So again, though, in contrast to how we think, our weakness is, reveals God's power better than our strength. So this passage has an application for us at a time like Flourish, right? Now, Flourish is a, is a discrete trial. It has an end date. We're not sure when that end date is, but it does. It will have an end date at some point. Um, but we all live with life's short-term and long-term sufferings. In my 30s, I read an IVP book about spirituality and midlife. I read it way too early. I like to be prepared. And I only remember one thing from that book. The author was saying, in midlife is a time of collecting pain and sadness. And I thought, wow, sounds, sounds awful. <laughs> right? And, and the list was like I, you know, I read earlier, but like many people can't afford the luxury of waiting till midlife for that, right? Suffering hits many people earlier. At midlife, you can't ignore it any longer unless you just go into complete denial because, like I said, your knees hurt, your youthful vigor reigns, your parents decline. It's the life we live in this sin-filled world as clay jars. So the question is not whether we will have trials and sufferings. The question is, what do we do with it? How do we have Paul's perspective and how do we allow the trials and sufferings to make to, to allow God's glory to be revealed more and more. So I have not figured this out. I will be working on this until I die. But I think it's a crazy, wonderful, painful, virtuous cycle, honestly. First, God reveals himself to us, and we receive his treasure. We have some understanding of that treasure of a relationship with him. It's a gift and, of mercy and grace that we ever get to enter in. Then suffering comes, right? Suffering's a part of this world, trials, tribulations, being hard-pressed. And with, in faith, we believe that we will be raised with God someday. In faith, we turn to God in our trials, and we meet God in that place, and more of his treasure is revealed to us. The treasure we already have, more light is given to us. And then that treasure begins to radiate out radiate out from us, revealing God's glory to others. And that gives us joy as we partner with God. And the cycle just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm not saying we ever sit passively in our suffering or look to be a martyr. Um, that's, that's not what God's asking us to do. But we have multiple choices. We can deny it and numb it with the medication of our choice. Or we can turn from God or we can turn to God. Suffering's real. It was real to Paul. But he found some place of peace in the midst of it. He was okay being a jar of clay. He was okay not being a perfect celebrity Christian. 
In other places, he boasts about his weaknesses. Think about the saints in your life. Those people who radiate or reveal God's glory, the people you want to be around, are their lives picture perfect, not a scar or a blemish? Are they people who are clearly human, a clay jar, but God's glory is shining through them? I've got a ministry partner named Helen. She's a little younger than me. She raised her kids with chronic illness being in bed for huge portions of their upbringing. But she has met God deeply in those hours in her bed. She's not bitter, and there's a depth there that um, I am drawn to. I don't envy her. I wouldn't want to be her, but there's something about her I'm drawn to. I think about the students in Africa. Tom told us about the worship at Rock Chapel. Right, because of persecution on campus, they're out in the desert somewhere sitting on rocks with a, with a rock podium. And I, that picture draws me. And I think about their resilience, and I think about how God's glory is shining through them. And then there's an older woman in my church. It's a little country church of 50 people on a Sunday morning. I'll call her Susan. Her life has not been easy. She's had a life of hard manual labor on a farm. She's had hip replacements. She's had the deaths of grandchildren. Her life has not been easy. But she stands near the back and greets every person who leaves the church. There's teenage boys who go to her to get a hug of their own will, right? Um, She wants to give all the church's money away and trust God. (laughs) She has this smile like she's up to something fun. She's hosting a birthday party for her 80th birthday party soon that I want to go to. You know, and I'm going to give up part of my Saturday, which I don't give up. I resent weddings that make me go to their weddings, you know, on a Saturday. Um, I want to be around her. I look forward to seeing her every week. And there's no obvious human reason why. She's not rich. She's not famous. She's not influential. But I know why. I'm drawn to the glory of God in her. I'm drawn to her treasure that is showing through her clay jar. She radiates it. I want to be like her. So I've been working to change how I engage sufferings and the disappointments in my life. Before college, denial was just a pretty good method. <laughs> you know, I, there was stuff in my family growing up, and it was just basically in denial. I medicated it through relationships and striving for accomplishments. But thanks to God's work in my life through InterVarsity and through a vineyard church in Evanston, in my 20s and 30s, I started switching from just denial to actually really engaging stuff. You know, I did my time in counseling. Maybe I'm not done, but I did it then. I went and got prayer ministry. I dove into community, and I went after it and tried to really learn and grow through stuff. And and God used that. Now I try to just hold this kind of stuff in the presence of God. I still want to shorten it and lighten it. I still look for solutions. But I know there's something more for me and God in the midst of any kind of trial, any kind of suffering. I know there's something there for me. And I know that some of the sufferings won't end until we see Jesus face to face. You know, when I, when I was younger, I couldn't conceive of a suffering not ending. I look for what he's doing, and I have more peace and I appreciate how the treasure continues to grow. And I hope the results are showing more and more of God's glory revealing. And it's interesting. Paul uses the word we. 
everything I've been saying is you, I. It's all real personal. And there is a very personal thing. It's you and Jesus, right? What are you and Jesus going to do? But Paul is using we everywhere throughout this. We can't do this alone. We only do it in community. I mean, maybe, or at least at any speed, right? Um, so how do we go through these kind of sufferings in community? I've got two guys. Um, we try to pray once a month together here locally. I've got two other guys. We try to do a three-day prayer retreat. We call it our prayer and barbecue retreat. We, um, we get together. We pray. Sometimes we fly to go near B. Barney Ford because he's someone that radiates the glory of God. And we try to eat barbecue at least once a day. So it's prayer and barbecue. <laughs> and, um, but this is done in community. We become more like the woman in my church, Susan, as we embrace God and do it in community. I want to be like her. I want that kind of treasure radiating out for my sake and for the sake of others, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my family and my friends, where the glory of God that's inside radiates out. So in closing, as we move towards the final push of Go Live and Flourish, or as all of us deal with whatever life is dishing out, if the small persecutions we face on campus really grow in the future, as we are hard-pressed, perplexed, and struck down, let us not give up hope. Let us turn to God and cherish the treasure of our relationship with him and know that his glory is revealed more in our weakness than in our strength. Well, thank you.